Hello, hello. I'm Dr. Felicia Mebbin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University, and this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads. And today we have an awesome guest who is actually not from Norfolk, which is awesome in a lot of ways, Jay Grant. Hi, Jay. Hi, Dr. Mebbin. How are you doing? And I only say that because we're trying to have geographic diversity on the program. So welcome to Health Healing in Hampton Roads. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Awesome. So we like to have people start with, what's your connection to Hampton Roads? Absolutely. So interestingly, I have roots in Portsmouth, so just across the river. My my mom grew up in Portsmouth in the Truxton neighborhood. So did my grandma. And uh, my great-grandparents came here from Elizabeth City uh, to work in the shipyard. So that would have been in the late 1800s. So I have come really back to Hampton Roads. I grew up in Vienna, Virginia, Northern Virginia, about 20, 30 minutes outside of D.C., and uh, went to Virginia Tech, uh, did uh, studies in uh, graduate studies in uh, UPenn in Philadelphia, spent the last 16 years in Richmond uh, working for uh, both the federal and state government, uh, but now I've come back to Hampton Roads uh, to work for LISC, Local Initiative Support Corporation. Nice, and we'll get to all those details a little bit later, but that's some amazing history, especially for, you know, black families to know. You said since the 1800s. I mean, how was that family lore, or, you know, is it in the census? I mean, how, how do you guys know that? Yeah, so interestingly, again, we have a, um, uh, we actually have a family history book on my mom's side. Uh, it's my mom's dad's side who, uh, unfortunately, I never got to meet him. He passed away when my mom was 10. But um, they, they've kept this history, and um, they stayed close. And so what you see a lot of times in, in uh, communities, uh, especially older communities, is, um, you know, you didn't really go that far. And so moving from Elizabeth City to Portsmouth was, was like going really far deal. back then. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, uh, we have actual uh, – we have – ton of pictures uh and back then you know portraits as well uh and prior to that at least for me the the history gets cloudy i actually have more history on my dad's side uh from uh Fauquier county the northern virginia kind of far out exurbs area um black family on the mountains um and uh, we have uh history dating back to the 1700s actually some um, individuals who have fought in the in the Revolutionary War, um, so both free and and uh, enslaved uh, uh, family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have become fascinated by both uh, you know family genealogy, but um, also just uh, local and regional uh, history. And so when you dig into your own genealogy, if you have the opportunity, I mean, even if you just have a little clue. You, you kind of follow those clues, and you mentioned census records. You can try to see where you can go, and even if it doesn't lead you in a path finding your, your own ancestors, you're going to find some really cool history. Yeah, and I love that. So my father's family has been in Guilford County, North Carolina, since the mid-1800s, wow. and his family was enslaved at that time. And the reason that I know that is because somebody did their dissertation on enslaved families who 
had to report themselves as married when when the Civil War ended. And so there was Richard Mebbin and Sarah Mebbin, and they said they had been, quote, unquote, married, you know, before they weren't considered people. But they, they considered themselves married, because they were, um, in my opinion. Absolutely. And so they reported in, yes, we've been married since before, you know, emancipation. And so that's amazing. And, and one of the reasons why I love this is because we have history, people. You know what I mean? It's even as mm-hmm. much as people have tried to erase it, we all, we black people, brown people, have deep roots in these areas, and I love when we emphasize that. Absolutely. So thanks for sharing that. Thank you. And I, like you said, I love the treasure hunt too, right? <laughs> sort of going down because I did my searches at uh, census records back in the, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, the '90s, <laughs> late '80s, before yeah. the internet, before Ancestry.com. Much harder. You know? So you really had to take your time and go through the books and go through the microfiche with the records. So and now with just the ease of information. It's still hard, but it's it's become easier to do these searches. You got to be careful because usually what happens is it's always a late night random project right, right. where I say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, oh, right. I'm gonna follow this cue <laughs> this clue real quickly, right? And then you know three hours later, I'm like, I need right, I need right, right. What am I but doing? But you're excited because yeah. you found that one little nugget, just like you said. Absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of nuggets, let's go back to your training. So talk a little bit more about. You said you went to VCU, but what were your focus areas of study. Yeah, and um, and I'm sorry, I actually went to uh, Virginia Tech, so I spent... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no worries. I did, <laughs> I, li- I lived in, so um, probably because of my, my Richmond history, so um, having been there for 16 years, and we just relocated my family, so I have a wife and three uh, three kids, ages 1 to 11, mm-hmm. uh, but... Uh, Shout out, hello. Yes, okay. yes. <laughs> and, um, but uh, I became a VCU basketball fan uh so during you know within the time i was there of course coach shaka smart was there oh yes. took the team to the final four mm-hmm. um it was it was wild but um so i went to virginia tech studied business uh marketing management as well as a minor in urban and regional planning during that time uh, i held uh, internships and I was mostly working in my hometown area, um, you know, Tyson's Corner, Arlington, was working for uh, Verizon Long Distance. And then, so long distance, you hear that? It wasn't wireless. Um, mm-hmm. Right, right. right. <laughs> and um, and uh, uh, north of Grumman. And uh, back then I was doing some computer programming. And I, I found myself, I, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. But um, there was not a whole lot of face-to-face interaction. And uh, one day when I was at Verizon, they sent me, I I, I boarded a plane from National Airport. It was a half an hour flight to LaGuardia. And I was um, in, you know, I was in Manhattan in an office building, uh, high rise at like 930 in the morning. So it was a very early flight. And they had me train staff on how to use this program I had created. It was like some kind of budgeting tool. And I said, wow, I love this. It wasn't that I really loved the training so much, but I loved the interaction. And I said, okay, I want to find something different where I'm, I'm helping more people. Meanwhile, I had a, uh, a minor. Well, I had enough credits to declare a minor in urban planning because I was just finding myself so interested in that uh, discipline. Mm-hmm. So I declared the minor. Meanwhile, I said, you know what, um, let, me, let me go out for a master's degree. Uh, and so I left, graduated from tech, uh, went to University of Pennsylvania in uh, Philadelphia, 
uh, did a, a master's program in city and regional planning with an emphasis in uh, uh, community and economic development. And that, I believe, is, is the nexus for how I got connected to the world that I'm in now. And so from Philadelphia, I moved to Richmond, uh, took a job at the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development, was a policy analyst there, uh, was there for about a year and a half, went to HUD, um, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, I was at their Virginia office, which is in Richmond. I was there for 10 years and then went back to Virginia DHCD for a leadership position. I served as Deputy Director of Community Development. This was my first time uh, managing, officially managing a team. It was a large team. It was, for me, it was large. It was 40 people mm-hmm. and um, a large budget, $50 million annual budget. And I was there for, uh, well, I was there for about four, four and a half years the second time. And of course, the pandemic uh, the heat of the pandemic was during that time frame. So at one point, the budget escalated to $100 million because there was so much right, right. so much federal money coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and while some of my peers, uh, I really envy some of them who's, well, I say that, you know, with a grain of salt because we do have to rec- recall that a lot of people lost their jobs. And so it was an extremely tough time. Uh, but for my peers that that were able to hold on to their jobs and their work uh, lessened. I really, uh, I really wish kind of I had been in that situation because our work just just escalated. Sure. Um, but it was all worth it. We were getting money out into the communities, and uh, for for a good cause to help businesses, to help individuals, help communities um, to rebuild quickly. And then from there, um, I came over to Lisk Hampton Roads, and so Lisk. Local Initiative Support Corporation has been around. It's a CDFI, Community Development Finance Institution. It's a type of nonprofit. It's been around since 1979 nationwide, but in Hampton Roads, we have been around since January of 2020. Oh, okay. And so so here we are, and I'm just happy to be here in the community. Okay, great. Okay, so I love for people to hear or to tell their stories about um, their paths, their career paths, because I'll always emphasize that they're not linear. You cannot necessarily predict in advance what's going to happen. Um, and it's great to know that you were there to have leadership at HUD and those places where, you know, a lot of our communities rely on those resources. So we need to have really good leaders who have different ideas and different experiences. So that's really great. And one final note, housing is a, one of the social determinants of health. And that's where, how we're going to bring it back around to public health. So tell me a little bit more about your role at LISC and, and why did it come to Hampton Roads? Yeah, so... Um I'm serving as executive director uh, of our local office, which is uh, one of 38 local offices of LISC nationwide. Okay. We are actually based in New York. Uh, we have a rural LISC office, so it covers the rural uh, areas of America. Of course, that's one of the 38. There are two in Virginia. The other one's in Richmond. Ironically, uh, I left there, and, uh, and I'm super came happy. Back came, came back home to Hampton Roads. Came back home. And so the... Uh, really what we're all about is uh, building community, building what we're saying locally, community resilience, uh, and helping communities to uh, achieve their goals as it relates to community resilience. What does that mean? It's affordable housing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, access to jobs, access to fresh groceries, um, 
access to you know safe uh, environments mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. so much more. Right, and it's so, public health infrastructure. So I just looked this concept up to prepare for a presentation. And in general, what I understood is that it's the ability of the community to respond to trauma in any kind of way. Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to do that, and the trauma can be a hurricane, but it can also be a pandemic or um, an outbreak of something or um, a health disparity, for example. right? Right. And so it's saying, well, how well are these things that you mentioned set up for the community so when things happen, they can respond in the best possible way and then also enhance themselves and build themselves up to prevent those things, right, to mitigate the impact of something you can't predict, but also to be able to be better off when you've experienced something. Did I get that right? No, absolutely. And so, for instance, um, as it relates to housing, there's obviously housing crunch locally and nationwide, uh, meaning that uh, it's just difficult to obtain housing, whether it's home ownership or, or rental. Um, if you're seeking to rent, you're competing sometimes with 50 or more other uh, individuals and families. If you are looking for uh, taking out a, a mortgage, you are up against the high interest rates as compared to recent years. And so uh, it's all interrelated it's connected even to homelessness. And so persons experiencing homelessness uh, oftentimes and folks who may not uh, have, uh, may have lower incomes, you know, many times folks are utilizing uh, the emergency rooms for, uh, for what could be primary care. Mm-hmm. And so you get, you get kind of a backlog, you get kind of over usage of systems and um, and it costs a lot. It costs it costs right. the healthcare systems, uh, and we can talk about many different systems uh, in the public sector that basically get over overutilized and or utilized for kind of the wrong purposes. And so that costs that costs the public. But again, going you know going back to housing, it's um, if we can help those most at risk and most in need. Uh, obtain housing however we get them to there then you know we are and and if the system keeps moving because like right now folks are holding on to their homes that have two percent interest rates Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so you're not seeing movement there you see a backlog then it's kind of a trickle down effect and so there needs to be more housing that's built really at all levels at affordable housing levels uh, at even mid and higher income levels, we really just we really need more housing, and so you start to free up the movement, and we also need mechanisms such as entities like LISC and other entities that come in and kind of step into the gap. <clears throat> so none of us can just wave a wand and reduce the interest rates. I wish we could, right? <laughs> um, so we've got to step into the gap and provide <clears throat> incentives for developers. Uh, provide interest rate buy downs and all these kind of fancy things uh, that we're involved in to to really free up the movement uh, and, and help people ultimately to be able to make these choices to be able to live 
in uh, in a housing unit that is uh, suitable for their family. Mm-hmm. And you have regional offices because that can be regional, right? You can't wave a wand and do the same thing everywhere, right? You have to really understand what's going on in a particular area to be able to help solve some of those problems, right? Yeah, yes, indeed. And so we have our Hampton Roads office to cover uh, the greater Hampton Roads area, so the seven cities and a little bit beyond, uh, because um, we've got to be here on the ground. And so each day, you know, we're meeting with nonprofits, with city leaders, with businesses, and, you know, we need to hear from the community what are the issues. And as an example, we had a, um, we had a uh, workshop a couple weeks ago where we, we took in a whole bunch of information um, and this was actually a partnership with Rise uh, Resilience, uh, based uh, here in Norfolk. Uh, and we partnered with them, and, and this is actually going to be a long-term partnership, uh, multiple years, uh, because we really want to showcase the nexus between housing, um, resilience, coastal resilience, which is what Rise specializes in, and you know, fresh foods, all of these things. Again, we're calling it community resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, had a workshop that where we really just took in information. What are the issues here in Hampton Roads? Mm-hmm. And so we sounds did like it. public health. That's what public health does. It connects all of that stuff together. Absolutely, the environment, nutrition, access to housing, all of that stuff together. That's one of the frameworks. So the right. community resilience framework I was talking about comes from emergency management the whole field of emergency management in public health. I see. So they yes. have that concept as well, and it dovetails with exactly what you're saying. Yep, yep, it's, that's great. Okay, so tell me even more about some of the specific programs that you offer, you and your team, I should say. Yes, indeed. So uh, right now we are offering a 0% uh, loan for small businesses. Excuse me, a what? A 0% uh, loan, and you did hear it right. So. Uh, this is called Expand 757. Uh, this is for businesses that, um, generally speaking, are two years uh, old or older uh, to, to really expand uh, their ability to, uh, to, to do whatever it is that they're doing. And so it could be more equipment. It could be just building their capacity, being able to pay more staff. Uh, but uh, these are loans up to $50,000. And the first six months uh, are um, deferred. And then on month seven, the business pays uh, on an amortization schedule of five years. The interest, uh, I'm sorry, the loan actually balloons in three years. But uh, don't fret because uh, businesses only need to just let us know if they're not able to uh, complete their payments at that time. And then we'll we'll honor the full five years. We are trying to rapidly bring this money back into the fold so that we can get it out, distribute it to more small businesses. Okay, so do they have to have a focus on any particular sector of business or can it be anything? It could, it, 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 it runs pretty much the gamut. Um, I don't want to say anything, okay. of course, because we, right, we all right. can think about businesses <laughs> where eh, we probably don't want to fund that through a community development finance institution, but it's a wide range of businesses, absolutely. Um, and we also do focus on black and brown businesses, women-owned businesses, veteran-owned businesses. It's open to all types of businesses, but we do have those particular focuses because we're trying to reach um, underserved markets. Mm-hmm. And again, it helps with, com- with community resilience because 
as these small businesses offer jobs, as income comes in, and they provide taxes to back to the community, et cetera. So it's building resources for the community, and that helps with resilience. Yes, yes. And one thing that many people don't realize, myself included up until recently, is that Small businesses really are the lifeblood yes. uh, of the economy. Uh, that you know, many, many, many people work for small businesses. So, so often we think about the larger institutions, and those are very important, obviously, for the local, regional, state, et cetera, economy. But small businesses, without them, these larger institutions would not be able to succeed. And so, for instance, think about the uh, onset of on sh- or offshore wind right now. Mm -hmm. So we've got this new opportunity coming to the Hampton Roads region. So what, 30 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach? But you look at communities like Portsmouth has really grasped onto this and said, you know, we're attracting distribution centers and, and manufacturing facilities. Virginia Beach, of course, is is a is becoming a magnet. The whole region is becoming a magnet for all of the auxiliary types of businesses. So you could, I mean, you could be uh, a food services uh, business owner, and that can be connected. I mean, there's so much to when a new industry comes into town. Mm -hmm, What mm -hmm. that means is this is something that's never been here. These are jobs that are being created, and those jobs, to your point, need assistance. So, yes, I mean, it, it, it all works together. Small businesses are extremely vital. Right. Yeah, that's so exciting. That's so exciting. And as a matter of fact, that can be part of a business model. If you know that, like, it, just as you said, you could sort of, I could totally see someone creating their business around that, even if it's tangential, you know, even if you're not actually building the wind turbine or whatever, turbine or whatever it right. is, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say the majority of the jobs are, are not be, right. building the actual physical infrastructure that's going to be out there. Right, uh, right. That's probably probably a small portion of it. Right. So maybe, for example, I don't know, and I don't know how feasible this is, but maybe somebody would want to take a tour and kind of go out there and see. I mean, who knows, <laughs> right? Uh, they, you know, I, things like that. <laughs> I have not been on a tour, but you can. Um, I think you, uh, you can get uh, in touch with uh, Dominion Power, and uh, you can get on a boat, and they will take you out. They will there. take. Oh, okay. Yes. It's uh, you've got to you've really got to reserve like half of a day because of logistics, and then getting out there, uh, and depending on the weather, you know, dress appropriately. Right. Uh, but yes, uh, I've known. I, I know of a, a number of people who have who have taken who have that taken tour. the tour. Yes. But maybe that could be a business, right? Maybe oh, Dominion, yeah. right? Like yeah. maybe Dominion doesn't want to have to do that the whole time. Very good point. <laughs> this is a plug. If maybe there's f- an entrepreneur out there. That, yep. yeah. <laughs> if anyone from Dominion is listening, this this is a plug. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So how do you think your work is more directly tied to health and public health? I know I've made mm-hmm. the case for it more broadly, but do when you're thinking about what, you know, the programs that you provide and the services and all of that, um, do you see yourself as someone who is a public health professional based on what you're doing? So increasingly, yes. And years ago, I probably would not have made that connection. But um, when you are more gainfully employed, you have the chance, the better chance of living a healthier life. Because if I can attain a certain amount of income, now, instead of saying, you know, I can only afford 
these processed foods. Uh, now I can say, you know, let me get some of these more, yes, more expensive, but more healthy organic fruits and vegetables. So maybe it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want those. It was that I had to make economic choices to say, I can't afford that for myself and or my family. Uh, when you have better housing uh, and, and safe housing uh, and just safe environments, I can then focus on, let's say if I'm a student, I can focus on my studies as opposed to focusing on survival um, or focusing on, you know, I live in a, a rat infested um, place and uh, we have bed bugs and, you know, me, my family, my kids can't sleep at night. So we spent all night uh, turning over beds. It's stressed. You know, I mean, stressed. it's also the stress of, the, of worrying about those right. things. Mm -hmm. Then I come into my job and um, I, I let that stress out and and maybe I get fired because of really because of my situations happening outside of, of the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, when I am able to go through job training programs um, and wealth building types of programs, these I'm just alluding to some of the other programs that we have, um, such as the uh, fin financial opportunity centers, uh, then I'm able to learn uh, more about how um, how uh, to uh, operate in a professional manner, in a professional environment, um, attain some of the job skills that I need, whether they're hard skills or soft skills, um, gain the connections. Because most of the time, we uh, most people get jobs through connections. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it might not be, oh, um, I'm going to give you a job, but it might be just the, the realm of people that you're in, um, that's what you know. And mm -hmm. so if, uh, if you know, I can help folks to, you know, broaden their circle, get connected to different philosophies, different um, practices, uh, then, then maybe I can say, hey, uh, I think I do want to get, for instance, into uh, something related to the the, the offshore wind mm -hmm. technologies, mm -hmm. right, right, right. So they they can they have more space to think creatively. They have some assets built up, so they can take a little bit of a risk, right? Right. You have to have a little bit of cushion to be able right. to start a business, I think. Um, and then also sometimes even you need housing to get the job, right? You need some stability. You have to have an address. You have to be, they have to be able to contact you. And so that helps as well. And then of course, having a job sometimes is better access to healthcare because you have health insurance and you have access to other services. Yes, indeed. So it really is interconnected. I think they're all interconnected. Um, and I certainly believe all of these, uh, all of these practices around uh, housing, uh, business uh, development, economic development, community development, all of it ties into creating healthier individuals, families, and communities. And communities. Absolutely. That's perfect. So tell us about one thing you have coming up, because I think we're going to have to have a to be continued because I know there's a lot more I want to talk to you about, but, but we don't, don't have that amount of time for today. But tell us about one activity, event, or something that you have coming okay, up. Okay, certainly. So we have a... Um, a community resilience challenge that is coming up. This is a an initiative that uh, that has dollars attached to it, and so 
we have been blessed to uh, have you know, a founding funder is what we call uh, in the form of Sentara Health. And so this, this challenge is backed right now by Sentara. We are, uh, we'll be seeking some additional uh, partners so that we can really get funding out that will go to- towards direct uh, grants to businesses and nonprofits to come up with innovative and efficient solutions to problems um, that were really, uh, uh, I guess, articulated in uh, a workshop uh, that we had, the workshop we had with Rise Resilience, mm-hmm. um, actually back in uh, early July uh, of uh, 2023 this year, and, um, uh, and it was facilitated by MIT, Solve. Uh, and this challenge, I think, will be the uh, pinnacle event for uh, the end of 2023. It's going to go into 2024. uh, And with the partnership with Rise Resilience, the winners of the challenge, and there will be various pillar areas, probably things like housing, um, things potentially like public health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the winners uh, will uh, receive uh, intensive uh, technical assistance all along the way from Rise Resilience. So that's a big part of the partnership to nice. ensure success. So like Shark Tank, but different. In other yeah, words, no, they're pitching it. ideas, right? Yep. And then fabulous. Yep. So, oh, and also before we close the session, how would they find out more? So they could How would go, they? How would everybody out there who might think they're interested in this wonderful idea, how would they find out more? Um, they should check out our website at uh, lisk.org slash Hampton Roads. So that's L-I-S-C dot O-R-G slash Hampton Roads. And then navigate uh, on the top right, uh, and you'll be able to find it very easily. It's not there yet. So right now you'll see the uh, Challenge Design Workshop, uh, but eventually you'll see the Community Resilience Challenge there. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That was some wonderful information. And again, I think I'm going to have to have you come back so we can talk some more. But it was really great to have you here. I would, I would love to come back, Dr. Mevin. And, and this was just a wonderful time. So thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank everybody who's listening as well. Again, I'm Dr. Felicia Mebin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State. And this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads.